0: Good morning, everyone. Friends, our third candle is lit, the rose-colored candle. Deacon and I are wearing our rose-colored vestments. This is a sign to you that the celebration of the nativity is just a week away. I've been joking. Amazon's been also alerting you that you're running out of time. You only have a week to shop. But their message is that you're running out of time. My message is that you are not running out of time. But let us prepare For this great celebration that approaches. And that is the good news. And Isaiah presents us uh, with good news. The Israelites had been in exile. They are no longer in exile. So Isaiah the prophet speaks to them and says, Now has this time come. And the Lord is going to bring good things. And have joy uh, about ourselves in all things. And they have been suffering. So they needed that message. My friends, And this is the very scripture piece that Jesus, uh, he walks into a synagogue and he uh, is chosen to read. And he opens up a scroll and this is the scroll that he reads. And uh, he ascribes the reading of Isaiah to himself and he gives what I call the shortest homily ever in a synagogue. He reads it and says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then he went and sat down. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to just say one line, goes and sit down. <laughs> I remember St. Paul, uh, in our second reading, says that our Lord has come. Uh, he has ascended. He's coming back is what he's trying to communicate to us. And he said, in the meantime, you're not to do just nothing. You're to pray and to live lives of holiness. And he goes on through that whole chapter to talk about this. And uh, he tells us, pray unceasingly. And uh, certainly monks and uh, consecrated men and women in convents, uh, in monasteries, they can do this. Uh, But I know people are like, well, how am I supposed to do that? You do it the way Jesus did it. His whole life, he walked and preached and talked, gave testimony to his Father. His whole life became a living prayer. And this is how we pray unceasingly, for sure. And then our gospel uh, focuses on John the Baptizer. John uh, the Baptist had a central role. Oh, my friends, I know you're you're probably picking up, your, you can hear music. Our sound system is tuned into a radio station. I wish it was a gospel station or Christian rock station, but it's not. But uh, we have called for the Ted Brown works on our music system, so they'll be here on Tuesday to eliminate this issue. So be patient with us. I can hear it. Um, So uh, John uh, had a mission and a central role to play with the Savior. His role, as we heard, uh, was to witness to the light. He was to speak about the Messiah to come, and that is Jesus. And John the Baptist proved to be a very courageous and effective witness. He had a very strong personality. Uh, He was a man of integrity and principle He did not uh, have a life of comfort. He lived not in a spacious hut or even a palace, but he lived in the desert. His lifestyle as well as his integrity, his personal integrity, led credence and authority to his preaching. You could believe him. You just had to see him and you'd say, this man is not a hypocrite. He speaks the truth. He was a living example of what he preached. And when his mission was done, He moved aside to make way for the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And that took great humility because he had his own disciples, John did, the baptizer. And he was preaching and he knew, it is time for me to move aside now. Today, Jesus still needs witnesses, credible witnesses. And fortunately, there are still people throughout the world who witness faithfully and without great concern for their own personal cost there are people even on this day who will be martyred because they believe in Jesus and they testify to him these folks witness to the light just as truly as John the Baptist witnessed and that was their John's mission this is their mission we have one also now it is your turn as baptized Disciples of Jesus, as Christians, you must witness also in your way. Because for many people in the world today, Christ has become a distant figure, very blurred. And such words as found in the gospel become very true. There stands one among you whom you do not know. And that is Christ. So Christ still needs witnesses, people who can effectively affectively and compassionately make known him to people throughout the world. And we cannot witness this way if we are living in darkness. We are children of light and we're supposed to walk in the light. You don't have to be perfect. That's not possible. But you have to be holy. That is possible because of God's grace poured out on us. We have to be children of the light, living as children of the light. A good and holy life is a strong witness, and it is of itself a proclamation of the gospel. When religious practice is divorced from such things, it becomes lackluster, lukewarm at best. And people will point and say, you're a hypocrite. You do not follow the ways of the person you say is your Lord and Master. You do not act as if you know God. But when religious practice, meaning when you come here and sit in this pew, and you don't go out into the parking lot into the world and be nasty and do mean things, but when this religious practice here, our prayers and our worship, leads us to walk in holiness and to speak, it becomes an effective witness to the world. And no witness reaches others more persuasively and free of suspicion as the witness of those who do what Jesus has commanded without hypocrisy and with sincerity and joy. Without the witness of Christians today, the face of Christ, which seems already blurred for so many, will continue to be so. He will continue to stand among us as someone unrecognized. And the worst thing about that is not only will he be unrecognized, but people will not be able to experience him and his love and his truth and the joy that he brings to the world. And hearts will remain broken in this world and people will remain imprisoned in darkness and the good news of Jesus Christ will not have been preached. So my friends, in Jesus, the hidden God, clothed in our humanity. To see him is to see the Father, the Gospel of John 14, line 9. Before the coming of Jesus, for many people, God was seemed as a distant and remote entity. But since the coming of Jesus, we who have faith no longer see God as someone remote. We know God as someone who is close to us and who is concerned about each one of us. Jesus reveals his Father in heaven and our Father as loving and compassionate, forgiving. A God who is not far from us, but who is within our midst. Luke chapter 22, line 27. And he is deeply interested in what you are doing and who you are. A God who is especially close to the weak and the poor and those who are overburdened and tired. Jesus has come to me. I will give you rest. To know God in this way is a cause for our joy. This is the joy which is proclaimed by the Gospels and which is announced to us now. And furthermore, this is the message that we as Christians are to take to the world. We are his disciples today, and we are asked to do this. Luke 22 Line 9. The task is not just for one Christian, but for all. All Christians everywhere, the whole community, the whole family, are to take this message to everyone. And if we do this, we are doing what Paul has said. Pray unceasingly. And so, my friends, uh, let us be about doing this. These past weeks in Advent, in the homilies I've given... I presented uh, one thing was I wish that we could see through God's eyes ourselves, because if we did, we would see how God sees us, and we would change. We would not treat him the way he is treated, and we would not treat others, his children. The world would change. And then I went on to say, my friends, um, we have to come to understand that dignity. And then I also said uh, we need to start speaking about that which is invisible, the kingdom that Jesus talks about. Remember, he tells um, Pilate, Oh, my kingdom is not here. And if it were, you would know it. So we need to tell people about his kingdom, about the angelic realm, about their dignity they are more we are more than just flesh and blood we have a soul and that soul is able to call upon the father through our soul we are able you can learn all kinds of things with your brain but it is your soul that divinity that is within you that reaches and is able to call on the father to know and to experience so part of the evangelization the new evangelization that we call it is to reintroduce people to themselves so that they come to know and understand this is not everything and it is not just flesh and blood, there is more. To reintroduce themselves to this. And then last week I spoke to you, there are many people, many, many people now that feel very alone and are alone. And we need to address it. We need to approach them. So if you know someone who feels lonely or is alone, reach out to them. And I said something that some people may not agree with. And I said, when you do, first just tell them, you're not alone. I am here with you. And then when they've accepted that, you've come and you're with them, Then you tell them, by the way, Jesus has sent me. (laughs) Then they're ready. At first, some people are not ready to hear that God loves them because they don't feel worthy. First, tell them, deal with the loneliness, and then let them know, by the way, I'm here because Christ sent me. And he wants you to know you are loved. Because in that loneliness, in that dark space, they do something that cannot be undone. In the United States, the rate of suicide is so high. And part of that is because they feel alone, left alone, and unloved. This is something that Christ does not want. And they're not. So we need to do this. So let us be about doing this. Um, now, no time to wait. And my friends, um, for me as pastor, I love you. And with the coming changes in July, it was easy for me to begin to close in on myself and on you, meaning to only focus on you because I love you. But I know that part of the evangelization has to be, even now, reaching out to the whole community, all those in Gig Harbor, Tacoma, Alala. Father Lappy's up in Bremerton, so he can help the people in Bremerton. (laughs) But I began to close in just on us, and that's not right. You have to open, and that's why we continue with our faith formation programs. That's why we have Bible study. That's why we're going to have the Rescue Project again, which is going to help us to be reintroduced to ourselves as Christians and disciples. And that way you can take that message with comfort to others and let them know they are loved. So we need to be about that. And my friends, in the past couple of years here, I have been uh, we have been working on sacred art in the church, but... I haven't been just pointing it up just so you see something pretty. It all has meaning. To your left, the icons of the guardian angels. They're watching over you while you're in this space, and they travel with you. We all have guardian angels. To your right, normally the niche has Mary inside of it, but we've kind of been transforming it into the creche scene, but Mary's outside here. But In there are the icons of the archangels uh, who represent God and bring messages to us. And then even written right on the wall itself is scripture. My house shall be a house of prayer. This is to remind you. So you can look to your left and to your right, and the sacred art is there. And when you start getting bored with Father Mark's homily, by the way, my homily is done. Now I'm having a family conversation with you. (laughs) You can look up and you're like, ah, Father Mark. Ah, now you have art on the ceiling. And it begins with when God introduced himself to Abraham. So the first great prophet, Abraham. After Abraham comes Moses. Moses, the giver of the law, the friend of God, is what the scriptures describe him as. Then walking as we continue to the sanctuary is Elijah, And we see him with the blackbird, the crow. I won't go into that story. Read it. It's in the Bible. Then there's Elijah. And then the final and greatest prophet, John the Baptizer. My friends, your eye will be led through history. Abraham, Moses, Elijah, John the Baptizer. And they're leading you to the Messiah. And on the east, if you don't know, our altar actually faces east where it should be, along with the tabernacle. And here you see the representation of that Messiah and of what he did for you, and the great love poured out. But my friends, it doesn't end there. Jesus ascended and he said, go now and make disciples. Teach them what I commanded you. He didn't say, give them the Bible and tell them to read it for themselves. He said, teach them, tell them about me. So if you look up, it's the apostles, and they're, they're with you. They're, as you leave, you can see them, and they encourage you. My hope is that when you see the sacred art, it will inspire you and encourage you and give you hope and courage. They did it. You can do it. In the narthex, there are icons also. There's a return to Jerusalem. You can go and look at it. Most people don't even know it's there. I brought it back with me from Israel and I put it up silently to see if anyone would notice. So go and take a look. Coronation of Mary is above the door. We have a first-class relic of our patron saint now that you can visit. All this is to inspire and encourage so that you'll go out and speak the good news. And yes, it is beautiful to see that what we've done is surrounded this house with sacred art to inspire, not just to make pretty. And, of course, we had the four evangelists right here in front with Christ.